0: FM to get started.
1: I want all of you to step up into the studio with me today. We talk Alright, you guys, welcome to To the Point with Kristen Burt. I am so excited about our guest today because Not only is she the creator and the executive producer for Step Up High Water, but she also did make it or break it. And you guys know how much I love gymnastics. You know if you're following my Twitter feed. So let's welcome to the show, of course, Holly Sorensen. How are you?
0: I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome.
1: I know. And I warned you about my gymnastics like obsession as well. No, there
0: is a natural intersection and it's like awesome. The people that, um, you know, follow both, you know, sports, it's it's really 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 fun.
1: How about for you have you always had kind of a natural interest in both dance and gymnastics?
0: Yeah, cuz I can't do either one. <laughs>
1: Did I you sucked.
0: did you follow at least like uh, Olympics
1: and oh, th- sure. things like I that? I gym-
0: actually did do gymnastics you as did, a kid, okay. and I desperately wanted to be a dancer. But um, it, uh, I grew up in Montana, and we lived in a ranch in a town, and like ballet, like that was ridiculous. That was like the stupidest thing you could ask. <laughs> yeah, I might as well ask for like an elephant, right, you know? right? Right. So um, it was something I was kind of long to do, and um, I was not a natural gymnast, but i have a really big sports family, mm-hmm. um, as it turns out, and I actually have two Olympians. Uh, in my family you do yes winter
1: or summer Olympians so, no
0: summer they, I mean, winter they just arrived um, Katie and Sadie Bjornsson, um on Team Nordic USA I so, love yeah, that I it's that's exciting fun. yeah
1: I love Olympics, like Olympic years for me. Yeah, me too. I am the girl who has literally like put like red, white and blue ribbons in her hair and painted flags on her yes. faces. I've not yet attended an Olympics, so it's it's on my bucket list.
0: Well, we wanted to, and I should have, because they were in the last Olympics too, and like how often do you get that chance? Right. So that's really cr- crazy of me not to do it, but um, but it makes, you have no idea how much joy it brings, the family watching, like it's always great to watch the Olympics. And obviously when I knew um, gym- gymnasts, you know, from doing Make It or Break It, it was so fun to cheer for them too so cool any kind of personal connection if it's even someone from your town someone from your state like everyone in my home state's rooting for like the one Montana skier like it's it's a nice thing.
1: It is. It's you know, it makes you feel patriotic. I don't know if we feel patriotic enough in this country sometimes. You know, it's such
0: a good question and it's a good thing to feel
1: right now, I think. I definitely agree on that. Well, I you know, I'm so fascinated by your journey. You know, even just like researching for um, this interview and everything. I'm like, you have done so many things. You're like a journey woman and then you here you are with a step up high water. Um, but if I take you back you you weren't setting out to be a screenwriter you weren't setting out to necessarily be in the entertainment industry right off the bat where did all of this come from
0: um i'm just a believer in um happy accidents and fate and i'm a believer in um you know every we all think that we know what's best for our life and we dig in really tight and try to make that happen for ourselves but i just i've come to believe that if you if you or gracious, you just let that go and beautiful things happen. I, however, not gracious. <laughs> not gracious I, no, at all. No grace. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to push my plan as far as it would go. Like, and I'm st- if I'm still waitressing at 27 and I've never had a professional you know, maybe there's a better plan for me. Like, I just didn't ever think that a life of a writer was possible. Did you um, go
1: to college and study writing or anything? No,
0: I studied philosophy. I got okay. a, a scholarship to boarding school in Tacoma, Washington, and to college, and, um, I didn't study writing at all. I just, again, it was like something I wanted to do since childhood, but it was just so far off the screen of possibility. I could not, I could not even see that happening. More elephants. More elephants. So I did everything I could until literally the only thing I was paid to do was write. Like, like I was getting coins out of the cushions of my couch to like get a can of beans to eat food and... You know, someone say, "Well, do you want to write this little thing?" Like it was the only, it was the only way. So finally, I had to say, "Okay, well, I better start doing this. Better start calling it a career, right?" Yeah, like, I can do it. Well, I didn't start calling it a career for a long, like until my bylines were in national magazines. <laughs> you know, seriously. Was that stubborn? I just really didn't think it could happen for me. So you were Montana,
1: Washington. You went to New York at a certain point, correct? I did.
0: I went right after college, and then uh, and then I did a bunch of other stuff, and I came back. <laughs> but a bunch of really interesting stuff. I was. Um, uh, I lived in silence at a Buddhist meditation center for a year. I was. The, uh, the how cook. do you live
1: in silence? Because I, I I take it you're chatty. Because I'm chatty. I yeah. Can't na- I can't sit on a yoga mat for five minutes.
0: No, I could. I could probably live in silence for the rest of my life. So like that part wasn't that hard. Really, Um, uh, but I got to do other really fun things. I um, because life just bounced me around because I wasn't going with the flow. I guess I was like, it uh, was your flow. Yes, it isn't necessarily everyone else's flow. Correct. So I kept thinking that I was bad or wrong for you know. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm 25 and I'm a a bartender at Wrigley Field. I was a bartender at Wrigley Field. That sounds kind of fun, actually. At 25, yeah. So a lot of young women. Um, send me questions or I used to be a film executive so I used to go on the circuit to colleges and speak a a lot, film festivals a lot Mm -hmm. and I always got the question like uh, how do I you know what's the best way in what's the best thing to do and my advice was always the same which is fail spectacularly in your 20s. Like, Mm -hmm. now is the time to fail. Now is the time to do whatever the F you want. I think that we put so much pressure on young women to be so perfect at such a young age, and men too, by the way. Mm -hmm. But that was actually the genesis of Make It or Break It was... um, uh, I always find it interesting if if you have a theme in a TV show... Amongst heightened individuals, like great gymnasts, but also resonates in the general population. And yep. what I saw in young women that I knew, my nieces, my nephews, were women who were trying to be body perfect, who were trying to, like, do everything, who couldn't understand if their own path versus their, their, their team's path was the right thing to do. So those were the themes that, you know, I embraced for that show.
1: And I I don't think it matters what generation you're from. I think it's something we all go through. Exactly. Um, How did you land as Gloria
0: Steinem's assistant? I was um, living in Minneapolis, helping Sandinistas get to Canada, like you do. (laughs) I lived in Minneapolis, and I did not do that. I actually worked for... Governor Jesse
1: Ventura. On Did you his really? show on MSNBC, yes. Oh I was his gosh. newsreader. That's, Small world. Yeah, Minnesota's well, a weird I've place for I've been following things. Minnesota
0: for a long time because I was a big Paul Wellstone person. And I actually worked on his campaign when I lived
1: there. I was living there when he passed away, Oh, sadly. Gosh. It
0: was terrible. It was tragic. Uh, pa- Paul Wellstone, if you don't know him. Incredible he's, uh, senator. Yeah, yeah. He, If anyone feels like there's no ethics and truth and, you know, Mr. Smith is dead and can't go to Washington, you know, Paul Wellstone was a guy who had to buy a suit to go to Washington, and his wife cut his hair before his. We synagogue. lost a good one. Yeah, that was the worst. Uh, but uh, the question was, what again? <laughs> How did
1: you wind up as Gloria Steinem's oh. assistant?
0: So uh, <laughs> I had, um, I had well, I was living in Minneapolis, and I read where Ms. Magazine, which was an iconic thing from the '60s, and mm-hmm. uh, was going to stop taking ads. And in the media landscape we live in now, that is maybe a big deal, maybe not. At the time, print magazines survived on ads. So Ms. (laughs) Magazine would have a feminist article and then Estee Lauder's new like makeup (laughs) line. And they needed that to survive. Of course. But they decided, well, is our audience going to just pay for this and we can get rid of that bullshit and so we don't have to um, satisfy also their needs for editorial content. And I just thought that was such a bold and cool thing, like – oh, women can tell the truth about themselves and, like, like, we can tell the truth. And being a strong woman, feminists can tell the truth. Like, they're trying to do that there. So I, I wrote a resume, and I was uh, working at a, in addition to my Sandinista sideline, my side hustle, I was working at, in the mall. I love your side hustle in the mall. I know. Which mall were you at? Um, the one on uh, not Halstead, the one on... Um, uh, I, Nicolette, like Nic- Nicolette Mallyer, yeah, Nicolette Yeah. yeah. So uh, at this janky's store, like whatever. So that's what I was doing, and um, so I typed up my resume like I was told to do as a good girl. And then you know what I did? I took a, um, a translucent piece of paper and I taped it over the top, and I said, "If you want the truth about my life, read this. And if you just want the sanitized version, the resume is underneath." So when the resume said. I won this award. It was like, I really didn't deserve it because blah, blah, blah. When the resume said <laughs> this, it said my dean tried to have, you know, an improper relationship with me. Like, every everything, I, I put down the perfect life that you're supposed to do in a resume. And in a I, subtext. but And then I stapled a, a thing on top of it that said, okay, this is the real story. And I warned them, if you don't want the real story, throw it away. Mm-hmm. Like, because the, the real resume is good. I'm a, you know, a rural girl that got scholarships to boarding school and college and, you know, I, I'm I'm a, I'm a worthy candidate, but if if you want the truth, if you guys are really telling the truth, I'm going to tell you the truth. And let's see. And I got a call the second they got it. That's amazing. Yeah, I
1: love that. What did you learn from Gloria? Because I think it's so funny. I feel like because um, she was so powerful in the 60s and 70s, I feel like we lost some of that, and I feel like we're going back to like some yeah, of her sure. her philosophies now here in 2017, yes. 18. What did you walk away with from that job? You
0: know, I got, um, I did, I studied a lot of women's studies in college, so uh, that that was great. When I was um, working in her office, she was on a book tour, so she was never around. I think, but I did get to house at her house once, and you know, so I didn't get a lot from her Mm -hmm. personally. One thing I did get though is um, when I would go to events where she was at. And later, you know, at Premier Magazine, I interviewed A-list celebrities. There's only been a couple people in my life that when fans see them, they melt down. And, you know, it's not just I love you, but it's you saved me. You changed my life. And Hunter Thompson was one of those and Gloria Steinem was one of those. Yeah.
1: Yes. Hunter S. Thompson. I did not realize this was you. I knew of that letter that Hunter S. Thompson wrote to you, by the way. So you wound up did you go let's let 's at least create a little connect You're the a dots here girl. I okay. love this, but I want to connect the dots even for people listening today so that they understand When did you go from um, working um, with Gloria to did you go to Premier Magazine next? Did you start writing for yes. magazines? Okay
0: I went to Gloria. I, I was with Gloria, and the person next to me said, uh, Premier Magazine is looking for an assistant, and I had never even heard of Premier magazine it 's so embarrassing like I, my track was so my track. And I was just a, you know, I was a young person living in New York City, and um, I went and interviewed, and I got that job. And that turned out to be the most, possibly the most spectacular, like, turn of events in my life. So, Premier Magazine, um, for folks that um, don't remember...
1: I lament the loss of Premier Magazine. It
0: was one of the greatest magazines about movies or in general... It was a fantastically well-written magazine. The people that started that magazine have won many awards mm-hmm. have gone on to do great things. Um, it was also around at a time when there was not uh, – I don't think there's Access Hollywood. There wasn't – there was not – There was Entertainment
1: Tonight, Tonight maybe. Yeah, the Entertainment maybe. Tonight was
0: around because that, that started in the 80s. Um Premiere started in the '80s. In the, the 80s, 80s. '80s too. So, but so. there wasn't Entertainment Weekly. There was no other press. There was no E at the time. No. So there was there was um, the trades, Variety and Hollywood Reporter.
1: People for the gossip there side. There was
0: people, but there was not a serious journalistic take on the business of Hollywood. Yeah. And that magazine also happened to be run by this woman named Suzanne Lyon, who, without any irony, we called the goddess Suzanne Lyon. So I had a boss who was. Stunning, fair, smart, shrewd—like I saw. A, I, 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 had the model for the woman that I wanted to be. That I kind of, you know, other than my mother's grit and um, love, the kind of the professional woman I wanted mm-hmm. to be. That I had never had an example for. I mean, even Gloria wasn't that example because she, she got fame so young and right. she, you know, she was so you know New York ized at, at that point. But Su- Susan Lyon was out in the world slaying dragons, and she was hiring women, and she was doing this thing, and Premiere Magazine was so influential at the time Mm -hmm. that it was happening, like, the line I always say is, like, when I was an assistant, I called Steven Spielberg for a quote, and he took my call as an assistant. Like, it was so powerful at that time. So as a, as a, someone who worked their way up through the ranks to senior editor, and I also wrote a lot for the magazine, like, I got to read a script before anyone read it. I got to go to the set. I got to talk to everyone about it. Mm -hmm. I got to talk to the marketing team. Like, I got to see how the sausage was made in such a deep an interesting way so like I call it my graduate course in Hollywood it was far more than that it was so fortuitous um, and Susan Line still is a goddess she's empowering women to this day And
1: oh I love that I yeah. love to hear that were you working for them in New York or in LA How had you made yourself to the west coast I was
0: working for them in New York and through yeah. that job I got moved to LA and then you wound
1: up um, working for shooting gallery after that right yes okay because this, this part of the story to me is amazing <laughs> And for people that don't know what Shooting Gallery was, I mean, this was a really, I would say, influential, independent uh, production company at the time. Super
0: iconic, super – like, for everything that Suzanne Lyon was for Female Empowerment, Shooting Gallery was – for, for male empowerment, really. Yes. Like, like the, they got on the map with um, some of the early, which we called then Hood Films, which were, um, this, you know, probably not a PC title, but um, this this movie called Lo- uh, Laws of Gravity mm-hmm. uh, by this guy named Nick Gomez, who's still a great, it was a great movie, he's still a great director. Their big movies are Sling Blade, I think people know, or um, you can count on me. Um, we made little movies, and we made them fast and dirty. <laughs> we probably made them illegally. And it was an amazing... That, amazing time. Uh, it's an amazing time. However, the week before I got the job at Shooting Gallery, I sold my first script <laughs> to Hollywood. <laughs> you did. To a fancy agent. And I had a writing partner <coughs> uh, who was um, an actress named um, Tracy Lynn. <laughs> and you might know Tracy Lynn um, from really interesting indie movies and also um, she had a, a big horror kind of career also. Um, And she, but it turns out Tracy Lynn was also a brilliant writer. And she and I um, got a fancy agent. uh, We broke up as a team, but I still have that agent to this day. Um, But anyway, through the the years I was working at Shooting Gallery, I was also a full-time working Hollywood screenwriter. So I made independent films for love because they paid me nothing. And I wrote huge Hollywood films for money. Hopefully I won't be coughing.
1: Excuse me, but I want to get to the point of... When were you working with Hunter S. Thompson on...
0: um, The Rum Diary. The Rum Diary. Um, Towards the end of Shooting Gallery's life. um, So Johnny Depp had a fascination with Hunter, and they decided to come to L.A. to sell a version of The Rum Diary. It's a really interesting book. It's really hard to be made into a movie. It eventually did get made into a movie in all the problems with the book are evident in the movie. So, but they went to all the fancy studios and, but we wanted a shot at it. And, um, the slot I got was to go to Johnny Depp's house at eight o'clock at night to sit down with him and Hunter. <coughs> Cause so I did. And so, um, I show up there and they let me in and it's this just bizarre scene where someone is constantly videotaping Hunter because one of his best friends worked on the end of his life. One of his
1: life. employees is doing this?
0: Yeah, a friend, employee of Hunter. Um, I, I think at the end of the Rub Diary, you can see a lot of this this footage on the DVD. Um, and there's Depp smoking and drinking, and I'm drinking, and Hunter's drinking, and Hunter is making absolutely no sense whatsoever. Like, zero sense. He cannot talk. And then I'm looking at Depp, and he's looking at me. Because he knows this is a weird scenario. Like, here's this guy making no sense, and I don't know what to do, and... And then out of the blue, literally an hour later, I mean, I guess you keep drinking, Hunter just turns to me and he says the most lucid and brilliant, like, four-minute soliloquy. And then I turn to Depp, and he's like... So, so he has moments of clarity kind of thing? And the clarity is fantastic. So he's like, it, Depp's like, now nah, you fucking get it. It's, and but they, you're like, I had to wait here all night for this. For this, yes. And then, um, so, I've never really talked about this before. Um, but so... Give us more. <laughs> uh, um, we went to the Viper Club, and then Hunter said, I'm going to make up my mind who uh, who gets this thing t- tonight. And this was not a Harvey Weinstein thing at all. He said, come, come to my room and tell me why you want, my hotel room, and tell me why you want this. So you show. had to
1: give him a pitch in the moment.
0: Yes, after a night of whatever. So we go to the Bellage, which was Hunter's um, place to go. He's uh, His nom de fleur was Dr. Feelgood, I believe. And we, we go up there, and room service comes up, I shit you not, with four beers, six red wines, six white wines, <coughs> six glasses of brandy, six margaritas. All of that? For for us for oh my gosh yes no that was like it and um, we had a chat and it was um, um, funny and sweet and maybe slightly flirtatious but not at all improper and I left with the rum diary but then um, I didn't then make it, it the way yeah. <laughs> So, there's an
1: infamous memo, which you can actually see out there on the internet. Do you still have the actual letter? The facts. I wonder the if The facts. I do. yes. Let's date it. The facts.
0: Well, the, you know, what no one knows is that Hunter sent me facts like that three times a week. So, he, it was normal. Yes. And he was punking me a bit. He was totally punking me in that. So, to the world, someone just asked me in an interview the other day, like, is... Do you hate Hunter Thompson for being a bully? Like, no, I love Hunter. Like it that between us, that was love. But to the mm-hmm. world it was You're like, holy cow reading yes. this out of
1: context. Yes. Yeah. But you kind of had a, a nice little relationship, kind of like we a did. yeah.
0: We did. It was a, a huge, profound loss in my life when he died.
1: How did that um facts get out there in the first
0: place? Because I think he cc would Brad Pitt <laughs> he cc'd 10 people everyone in my office was so i was driving to sundance from from hunter's house i was in hunter's house in aspen and i'm driving to sundance which is starting and my assistant in la calls and says you got a fax from her i'm like okay great so what send it to the hotel i said no you're gonna want to read this <laughs> you have one. to read this one Almost okay. Read it to me. I'm like, oh my god! But he seed like C'd like ten people on it. it. eventually got to Harry Knowles, who had this um, influential website. Ain't it cool news? Ain't but it cool news back he, in the day. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that happened. Yeah. Wow. And that's a part of kind of like Hollywood history. It's kind it of amazing.
1: Is. There's a lot of articles about it. I mean, people even go back. Like there's articles in 2012, 2014. People yeah. go back
0: and revisit it quite a bit, which is kind
1: of interesting. Yes,
0: and he thought it was hilarious. Like every time it got printed in something, he'd call me up and said, "Have you read Harper's Bazaar? Have you read? Like, you know, guess what's out now." <laughs> no.
1: um, I would love to ask uh, in terms of when Shooting Gallery went under, um, and, and I know you had already been doing your own screenplays and everything else. Um, when did you really have the idea for Make It or Break It?
0: Um, another good question so when when uh Tracy Lynn and I were writing together, we literally were writing we were full time very successful i mean as successful as you can be without getting stuff made
1: all the time and and not, did you ever ghost write to it on any or do any doctoring on any scripts too that happens a lot yes, you don't get the credit that. Mm-hmm. that happens, yeah so
0: for people that don't know like i i describe uh feature filmmaking then as like to my relatives at home like it's the r and d aspect of the film industry. So inst- for for instance, Procter & Gamble will generate 300 ideas and they'll bring four to market every year. Right. Hollywood's the same way. They'll generate 400 scripts and they'll bring four to market. That's right. So you can actually have a very nice career being a scientist in Hollywood which is what I was for a long time. But I was killing myself because my job at Shooting Gallery eventually rose to president production so it was exhausting and um, I would drive to Tracy's house and we'd write from nine to one in the morning and every weekend. So I literally almost didn't have a day off for three years. So when shooting gallery um, went under, I just kind of like, I just kind of physically collapsed and I just had to have a come to Jesus about what I wanted my life to look like and my writing career to look like. Um, And I decided I wanted to write alone as, as brilliant as Tracy was. I just had stuff I wanted to say and, most of our scripts and my solo scripts were also romantic comedies, often uh, featuring men. Mm-hmm. I like to write men, um, but I wrote one drama, and it was *The Count of Monte Cristo* with girls, set in New York, and it was called *Revenge*. Love that! And it turned out to look a lot like the, the movie, the the TV series *Revenge*, but mm-hmm. n- not. No, no bad on them, but. Um, once I wrote a drama, I was like, oh, dramas are easy. <laughs> Comedy's hard. Comedy's and, very hard. Um, ABC Family, um, who I, I had several meetings with, said, come in. And they did the, the coolest thing, which is, like, don't come with the pitch. Just come in and have a conversation with us. Okay. What, what kinds of things interest you? And I said, this interests me. Fashion interests me. This, that, the other. The Olympics interest me. And they're like, oh, the Olympics. That mm. interests you. So... Um, and I said, "Yeah, I'm interested in skiing. I'm interested in gymnastics." And they're like, oh, gymnastics! So um, I also got a blind deal from that script with um, with uh, the CW, and I was writing a music driven thing with Lauren Graham's company. Um, so I was busy, and at the end of the year, they have to spend their development money, and they they kept calling my agent. Send Holly back with that gymnastics thing. And literally, this is going to sound so awful, but literally, because I've been thinking about it and reading about it. I think a lot of work for writers, if you are writers that are listening, happens when you're not writing. Like there's something happening in your, you know, different cortexes of your brain, yeah. even if you're not actually doing the work or doing the research. I woke up at five o'clock in the morning and I wrote the pitch for Make It or Break It. I met with the producers at nine o'clock at ABC Family and they bought it in the, the room. Wow but it was clear like the show just was crystal clear to me like, yeah I, you're like yeah. I know exactly I know how this exactly is going to play story. out
1: yeah. um I have to say like the the run of this show it was one of my favorites like I, I wasn't a big ABC family um fan per se but I was like a gymnastic show that's a destination show for me yes. and I think a lot of the other fans probably you've probably heard that quite a bit people were always yes. like, I, as I said before I went in the air, I'm like, what happened to Payson? Because <laughs> I feel like I wanted to know, Did we get? To, we knew we got to the Olympics, but we didn't get to go through the
0: Olympics. Yes. That's the, one, one of the things yes. that has always yes. been like, uh. yeah. Yes, it, it was an unfortunate pull out at the last minute. <laughs> and it was crazy because our ratings were still really good. It just wasn't the direction that the network wanted to go at the time, which of course I respect. Mm-hmm. If I'm an executive, I know how that goes, but um, but the plan of the show kind of, like my idea, just sort of happened to work out that every year they were going towards the goal of the Olympics. The next year happened to be the actual Olympic year, right? 2012. The, the actual gymnasts were watching our show while they were training. I mean, it, was just, it seemed bonkers not to just finish it up, but, right? Um, Even just
1: to do maybe a mini
0: season or something indeed. like that, yeah, or they, a movie or anything, yes. something, yeah, something. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um. It's interesting too. A lot of the topics that you were writing about at the time, and the show ran what 2009 to 2012. Yeah. Um They are now very topical, and yes. uh. How much were you—obviously, the, the sexual um, abuse that we've been hearing with Larry Nasser wasn't made public, really, on the USA Gym side until 2015, and I think a lot of people have been catching up with yes. that
0: news, unfortunately. And it's just bizarre that that was not front-page news in every magazine for your, like—I mean, the whole year is topsy-turvy for a lot of reasons, but— the Penn State scandal, the Sandusky scandal, was so also so devastating, but I think it just got so much more coverage than this one has.
1: And I think, and I think to make a really broad point on this too, we're focusing in on gymnastics. You did have like a, a molestation sort of storyline yeah. play in, which I think is really important. But it's not just gymnastics, guys. It, it happens in all sports. We've seen it with USA swimming. We've seen yes. it on yes. recreation levels, and I think it's just been a great kind of eye opener for parents to pay attention to as much as they can or let's yes. do we, we
0: all need to be protecting each other and things like that. Because we do. And I think that, you know, me too. And sadly, the small station scandal <laughs> is, is changing the way we deal with sport and changing the way we deal with girls in sport. And I hope b- boys in sport too. But you know, the fact is there were parents in the room while molestation right. was happening. There's something about gymnastics that is so focused and so intense and so top down And when I created Make It or Break It, I met with USA Gymnastics with men, you know, in a sport where – there's very few sports where men and women play the sport and the stars are women. Right. And those two sports are skating and gymnastics. Absolutely. Um, It – oh you know like I not that I anyone could see anything coming and not that those any of those people that were running the sport at the time were bad or wrong but it just struck me as odd I mean we didn't come up with the, the molestation story out of nowhere it just seems odd that there were a lot of men in charge of a sport about women and I can say the same thing with the Miss America pageant and the you know the the stuff that happened there like until we get some of this stuff sh- Sorted out. Maybe when we are capitalizing on the work and the beauty and the effort of young women, maybe women should be in charge of that enterprise.
1: Yeah, it really. There's
0: a reason why, like we tell kids in crisis, go find the moms, go find the women. Right, right. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna take care of you and
1: everything else. So I I just think that it's it was really interesting. And you know, obviously USA Gymnastics has not handled um, a lot of their cases, even going back decades and things like that. So it's awful. So you kind of you probably, even if you weren't like, okay, this is at the forefront of our minds like it is in 2017, 18, you knew. I mean, you probably knew that there, there had to be some cases that, that yes. yeah, obviously sort of stood out in your mind. Or, or And
0: also, it's just such a punishing sport. And, um you know, I love the sport. Like, I love the sport of gymnastics. I still follow it to this day. It's an amazing sport. And the one thing I will say, because I, you know... Um, I have an eight-year-old. I have lots of friends with young girls. They're they're focused girls going into gymnastics. And they always ask me, like, what about gymnastics? And I will say, the thing I know about gymnastics Mm -hmm. is I had Olympians, NCAA, top competitors, and champions all working on Make It or Break It, and they're some of the finest young women I know to this day. Like, they are out in the world. They're kicking ass. They take responsibility. They live hard. They play hard. They are such special people. So... um, that is to say like none of them that i know went through those scandals but like it's 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 hard ass but it has produced the finest young women i know absolutely hopefully we can find a way of um meeting in the middle do you know what i mean like
1: yeah, I mean, because we need to support the athletes that are coming up. And I don't want, you know, everyone wants USA Gymnastics to just kind of go away. And I'm like, it has to be built from the ground up again, but we also need to support yes. the current athletes that are in the program. in the system, yeah. Absolutely. You know, you've got Simone Biles even trying again for 2020. And I think she has inspired yes. a lot of people, which leads me to has... There been any talk about a reboot or any type of that for any type
0: of like even movie for Make It or Break It only for the fans I mean because mm. the um uh ABC Family transitioned to Freeform so right. all the hashtags are kind of different from um ABC you know I don't even know if they know how much chatter there is about make it or break it. There's a lot. And reboot yeah, like they're I don't think that they're because I don't think they're even tracking it. Yeah, it's like not necessarily on their radar because of that that whole transition. That, that transition Interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean and I just feel like the spotlight is on gymnastics and it might be kinda of fun to Put some more positive spin on the sport through Make It or Break It. Yes,
0: when we did the TCAs for um, for Step Up, I think it was the Hollywood Reporter reporter who said, who quoted me in like a tweet and said, "It's time for a reboot of Make It or Break It, and probably not at Freeform. Like, there's someone should step into this." Hello, Netflix. And do it again, yeah. I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> I was like, I mean, I feel like I get a reboot, like, uh, notice every single day in my inbox, like, Magnum Pia is coming back in yes, yeah. Party of Five, and I'm like, why not make it
0: or break why it? Why not make it or break I it? I mean,
1: Gilmore Girls, Amy Sherman Palladino wasn't able to put that button
0: on her show, and yes. then she finally got that with Netflix. She was my next-door neighbor in Venice. We were just writing girls. <laughs> Sometimes we'd have a drink at each other's porches. See, and I love cre- her shows too. Yeah, we lived in Alter place together. Yes, yep. You must have some great stories because
1: I was like, I like both of your writing, both the, both shows that I follow. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting. She's a great, you know, she's a great writer. Yes, yep. enjoying her her current Amazon oh, show is so as well. good. Yeah, Ms.
0: Maisel, and she has the world's best executive, Mark Restagini. So, if you like Transparent, if you like Mrs. Maisel, if you like um, the Philip. Uh, jay dick show like there is one writer one one um executive there that is so good and i'm writing a pilot for him now so i can say that um a good a good executive makes all the difference in the world yeah Yeah.
1: you need that support on the executive side on the studio side so uh, let's get into step up because i i am fresh off of watching the first four episodes i'm now going to be i have to finish it because i'm like i'm so addicted um how did this come about? Because obviously so many of us are from very familiar with the Step Up film franchise, which has been incredibly successful. Um, and obviously for those that follow, obviously, Channing Tatum and Jenna, this is their love story. This is yes. how they've met and everything. But
0: how did the series come about? Um, I don't know if I know the exact mm-hmm. story, but the story that I think I know mm-hmm. is that Eric Feig, who's uh, one of the heads of Lionsgate, was at a Christmas party with Suzanne Daniels, who runs YouTube Red... Um, currently, and mm-hmm. Suzanne Daniels, um, in the past, was at CW. She was at MTV. She's always followed the Step Up franchise. They uh, Lionsgate owns it. They had a little chat, and like the the marriage was made. And in fact, ten episodes were ordered before they even talked to showrunners or Wow, yeah, or or talked to people's creative take on it.
1: And then, so how were you connected then? Did they have you come in and doing a pitch like, this is my vision of yes. what it would
0: look like? It was, I mean, it was a sexy job because there w- it was a 10-episode order. It was an iconic franchise. It was not necessarily a franchise I thought I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Just because of Make It A Break it, I thought, well, I've kind of been there, done that. I had lots of other things I was interested in. I just didn't know. Um, I've had several meetings with Offspring Entertainment, which was um, Adam Shankman's company, because they were fans and their daughters were fans of Make It a Break It. Yeah um so i get brought into dance shows and sports shows a lot to pitch um hadn't found the right fit Mm -hmm. i was intrigued by this for the same reasons i just mentioned and i just said well if i come up with something i'll call you back and i honestly didn't think i would i I, you know i said to my agent i don't think this is for me she's like crazy (laughs) like you know this is like a 10 episode order because you know for a writer the, the heartbreaking thing is you kill yourself on a pilot you throw everything into it and it um, doesn't get made, or it does get made and it doesn't go in the air. I haven't had that one, thank God. But Um, it happens a lot in the industry. Yeah, no, I've been really lucky. So I just thought, you know, I don't, um, I just don't think I have any more to add to step up. We've stepped up, we've stepped out, we've stepped in. We've done every single step possible. Um, But then I did I just started things just started coming to me like fast and loose and the the you know the thing that I say is I read an article where it is a thing for um, a a lot of black sports stars and entertainment stars to give back to their old communities by founding charter schools in them so P. Diddy is a school and LeBron James is a school and Pitbull is a school and Will Smith has had a school Um, so I just thought. And then I just thought, what what would the Kanye West School of Art look like? What if someone really dangerous and really complex who, was, who had his hands in art, fashion, blogging, design, all these other places? Because I, I didn't want to do fame. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do the slamming lockers. Because those schools aren't – that's not what's feeding entertain, entertainment in America anymore. Like that's not – real anymore. Right. I mean, it is for some kids, I suppose. Yeah. uh, If you're in show choir, maybe. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But, you know, but most people like have a connection to the franchise. I mean, have a connection to stardom in a completely different way. And In fact, Kanye West has this thing called the Donda Collective, which is named after his mom, where he collects young artists um, and young graphic artists and young directors and um, and they all are in constant contact and fashion designers. So the guy who directed the Fade video when Kanye hosted the GMAs I think came into Donda when he was 17. Mm-hmm. So like, then all of a sudden, this is fresh to me, this is interesting and that's what I... You're like, uh, I've got a direction for this. I have a direction for this. And then there. I just also, in just thinking about it, they, they told me, you don't have to bring any characters back. We kind of want it to be more like the first one, the first Step Up movie, which had a kind of an indie feel in a way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have this background in indie filmmaking, so I wanted it to be indie. I wanted it to feel indie. And um, I had, I just looking at it, there were no black leads or gay leads in a show about hip-hop dancing. show about dancing, and show about hip-hop, no black people on gay people. Interesting. So, um, so then I said, well, I'm not... Entirely sure that this doing these shows is for me, so if i 'm going to pitch it, I might as well pitch the exact show I want to do, and I want a black gay lead and I' want set in the school and um God bless it was Channing, who like heard the vision and heard like other things I said that he just completely backed it entirely, and um he understood, was, yeah, he got it yeah that 's great, yeah, so you have Channing and Jenna and Adam and Adam and his sister Jen Gigbot, they and, the, and both of them have fantastic <laughs> development executives. We have Lionsgate, who have been just fantastic. And then we have YouTube. And all so many incredibly smart executives on this. Because a thing to have done would have been to make a big, bloated, step up, like, yay thing. And I think if anyone sees the show, they're going to see that's not what we did. We It's
1: not. You know, and what I love, too, because, you know, usually dance films are two things. It's basically, like... Two people from different sides of the tracks, you know, and it's the West Side story over and over. We see that in dance films constantly. And what I like about this is that everyone has something at stake, even sort of the supporting characters. There's something else at stake. It's not just like, hey, we're just like two people from opposite side of the tracks. We're going to fall in love, and then we're working up to the big dance yes. finale that, that kind of thing. That works in
0: Broadway. Yep. And, um, and I, I've said before um, in doing press for the show that um, I think the, the dance genre is a subset of the sports film genre mm-hmm. and it goes a certain way. And, and I and you have to really deconstruct a sports film to make it a sports series. It's hard to do. I learned how to do it with Make It or Break It. We're doing it again with Step Up. Um, it's not, you know, everything you love about a, a dance movie or a sports movie you're not necessarily going to get from a TV show because it's it's you know it has to be character based it has, it's not leading up to the big ending. yeah you, you know it's um it it has to be different you have to hook them in different ways so what I say about step up it's not a show it's not a dancing show, it's a show about dancers, and if they don't have anything at stake, I don't care really i don't mm-hmm. so um and because I think dancing's beautiful and it, it's amazing, but like if you know these kids' very lives are at stake mm-hmm you know, this this opportunity is their only way out, so, right?
1: Yeah, so through this through this school yep. too. I heard that you had originally thought about um, centering it in Oakland, yes. California, which has a huge hip hop community, yes. as does Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, how did it move from uh, West Coast to East yes. Coast? Uh, no tax credits in California. That's simple. I know. I I always see at the end. It's like made in Georgia.
0: (laughs) But but I I love um, I love that it's in Georgia. i have fallen in love with Atlanta, and uh, we've just gotten some great press out of Atlanta. Like you are getting the culture right, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, of Atlanta. Atlanta is super rich. It's Hollywood East now. It is. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the Nashville of hip hop, basically. But the the people there are so about um, the you know it's a festival culture and a football culture and. If you drive through Atlanta, like all the fences are painted, the graffiti's beautiful, people just start dancing. Like, you know, I tell this story all the time, but we had a a power outage with 200 extras and everyone had to sit around for two hours and a dance battle broke out in exactly like two minutes where all the cast and all the, the extras dived into it. Like, it's just that kind of, it's a passionate place. And it's a place where you dance not necessarily for fame or glory, but you do, but just because. Dance is part of your life, which I, I love.
1: Yeah, it's coming from your soul, which yeah. I think is so important. Sometimes we lose that yes. when we're you know just dancing to get the paycheck. And yeah, yeah exactly. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I have to ask about um, your directors. You had Adam Shankman who did the first episode, mm-hmm. yep. and Debbie Allen, yes. Ms. Allen, did the second yes,
0: episode, which was amazing. Those are kind of like great people to sort of set the tone for the series. And then we had Rob Hardy who did the second stump the yard for the third episode. Atlanta yep. native. Uh, and then Janice Cook, um, who is in a fantastic, she was my producing director, so she was on set all the time. Did both four and five, so that was a really really tough. Um, she did the Compton movie for Lifetime. She's mm-hmm. a fan. Everyone who knows Janice loves her. For six, we had the legendary Michael Schultz, who did Cooley High and who did um, Car Wash and who did. Sergeant Pepper, like like he's an iconic. Oh wow! Iconic director. Um, he does Blackish and stuff now too, but um, he has a background in big spectacle, and he was uh, amazed, I, And all th- all through the end, it was amazing. It was an amazing series of directors, yeah.
1: And how about assembling the cast? Were were a lot of them cast out of Los Angeles? Were you doing casting in Atlanta?
0: Combination of both. Both. Both and, um, and self-tapes. Mm-hmm. So we'd cast dancers first and then let them read. So we had many instances where um, agents would, and that's why we have so many fresh faces, agents would call and say, like, so-and-so that you guys know um, is a great dancer. And we say, great, bring her to the dance edition. Could not last 30 seconds, could not last a minute. Wow. Like, well, these dancers are seriously good dancers.
1: Yeah, they're great dancers, but they're also they're great actors, too. And they really have to be yeah. able to carry that story because it's like... There's no BS
0: in this, you know. It, no, it's a very truthful situation, and all—not uh, all of them, but many of them—have come up to, and like, "This is my life," and in weird ways, really, is their life. So Davis is an R&B singer who's homeless. Carlito Oliveira, who actually got third or fourth in um, America's Got Talent, ended up homeless. He's an R&B singer, like wow. you know, it just—it just happened that um, the people. St- I was going to say stepped up. In the mm-hmm. writer's room, whenever we use the word step up, everyone starts going like You're like, like yeah. Uh, so I'm inclined to do that. But um, um, Terrence Green, who plays Rigo, um, God bless. I love this kid so much. Like, we went out for dinner. Lionsgate took us out the night before we started principal. He hadn't had a steak dinner at a nice restaurant. He took a picture of it to t- send home to his mom. Like, he's like, you don't understand. This is me. This like, is who I
1: am. I'm I getting know. a steak dinner tonight. Like, this is a big <laughs> deal. We're like, steak dinner? But yeah, people I know. appreciate that. I know. I love that you have Jade in there. Ah, Jade. Jade Chenoweth is like superstar Instagram, YouTube. I mean, I see her videos everywhere. She's incredible. What
0: was so great is YouTube never said take a YouTube dancer, and they have lots of great dancers. Like they just had to go through audition process. And you just look at her and like she's so special. She She has like whatever that like charisma is. Like you just you're born with it. It just she has it, and it's so. I was going to cast the Oakland version of the show race blind when I moved it to Atlanta there were um, considerations that um, I thought would be interesting from a storytelling perspective so the central conceit of the show is two biracial (laughs) kids leave their white mom Mm -hmm. and they and their dad is gone dead and they go to live with their black Bad in a place that is overwhelmingly black. So they go from from um, Rust Belt Ohio into Atlanta so it's kind of this whole kind of awakening experience. Yeah, it's a, for cu- them. It's a cultural awakening too for yeah, them. Yeah, spiritual, sexual, cultural, like yep. every way. So um, um, that's the conceit of the show. But the fact that um, if, you, if you follow the series where Jade's path goes um, is really one of the best stories and she just Killed it. She just killed it. Yeah, I love
1: that because the first couple episodes, she's a little bit more um, in this supporting, sort of the background, and then as episode three and four come in, you yeah, start seeing she starts the stepping story. Up. Yeah, yeah, the story starts emerging, which I love. Um, in terms of choreographers, I know Jamal Sims did the pilot, yes. and then um, it was a Jamaica Craft continued. Yes.
0: So when we decided to move from mm-hmm. Oakland to Atlanta, I wanted to I wanted to really make the show most as, as As authentic as I could possibly make. Okay. Because I really think that dance works. In TV, when it's really grounded, mm-hmm. otherwise people are just bursting into song. Like I just wanted to, like, let's make this not just about dance. Let's make it about dance in Atlanta. So the where the It starts yeah. in Atlanta. There's a fantastic stripping culture which some great dancing in the strip worlds in Atlanta, which we, we have on the show. Like, let's just make it really authentically the dance culture of a, a specific place.
1: Did you do any research on any of their strip clubs there? Oh yeah. Did you go to the Belmont Lounge? Yes, I did. All right, the Belmont Lounge people <laughs> is. I don't know. It's 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 an iconic place, I will tell you that. It's older strippers. I'm going to be, I just want to say it as positively as possible because they work really hard there. It's comical in some ways um, just because there's a lot of, they, they the strippers will bring people yes. on stage yes. and, and sort of like goof around with them and stuff like that. But it's, if you're old enough to go, you should experience it once in your well, life. Well, there's
0: everything from, you know, Magic City to Onyx where, you know, <laughs> big deals get made in these these clubs. Mm-hmm. They're, they're considered, um, they're not just places where men go to there are places where you do business. In that's Atlanta, right, and a very serious way. They take it very serious there. So, um, so that's a very much part of. We have a a, a club called Velvet City, which is our pretend um, club that we go to a lot. Um, yeah, so um, like all kinds of dance in Atlanta is is. Is covered and so I hired Jamaica because she's the preeminent choreographer in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and because we're strip step up, strip up. We have um, a lot <laughs> of up. We're strip up. strip oh, up. That's a sequel. I right? love it. Um, we had um, we got to interview everyone. Like everyone wants that job, um, so that was really amazing. Um, Jamaica wasn't available to do the pilot. Jamal Sims had done a lot of this, the movies, and he was off to do at the Atlanta uh, Ad- Aladdin. Disney movie in London, and he just happened to have the month to do that. That worked out perfectly. And then we have a fantastic sequence um, in a party sequence that was choreographed in the pilot by Rich and Tone, who are um, fantastic choreographers. The Get
1: Down, You Guys on Netflix. Don't miss that. I wish that show had continued on because that was beautiful, Um, and and also, uh, Savion Glover made that tap sequence. I said that today. It's so beautiful. It's so beautifully lit and shot the way um, I saw it, and I loved having him in there because I'm always someone
0: like I want to see more of him. So I was thrilled to see him in the series. And he schooled us all, man. He just is such a a master of his craft and he's so he's a fundamentalist about tap and the mastery of tap and it was just a good thing for all of us to like yeah Yeah,
1: need. he trained with the legends of tap I was like I feel like he is one of those that is like yes. carrying on carrying the torch for that um I have to ask and you know uh, everyone asks you this season two where are we <laughs> Uh, have you heard anything?
0: Any whispers? Uh, no. I mean, the the studio and the network has, have been so, so, so supportive. Mm-hmm. So supportive. And they. Um, I just think YouTube Red is such an interesting place because, again, like we could have been an extension of the movies. They'd let us reinvent the show in, a, in, in an interesting way. And um, I'm grateful that the reviews have come out so strongly yeah. in favor of what, what we're doing. And, and everything they're doing, they're putting their own spin on it. They're making it fresh. <laughs> So they've been great and the, the network has been great and so hopefully we'll find out something soon. All right. I'll I'll like throw my tweets out there to YouTube Red. You do it. I do will.
1: It. I will have everyone else get on board because I'm like, you guys have to
0: see this show and And you guys have to watch it. You get a like it, the first four are free and there's a month's free trial for the YouTube Red. So- you can do that. Can and do
1: that. all ten episodes are ready. There you don't have to wait. You can do the binge yep. watching right now, which I love. I'm a I'm a binge watcher. That's yeah, kind of like too. my favorite. Um any other, like what projects are you working on next outside of a possible season two? Do you have anything else brewing? Because I, I, I love your genres, so I, I'm like, you know, I'm I a I do. Fan. I
0: mean, none of them are, uh, I have a sci-fi thing in Amazon, which I really, really like, and cool. I, I'm not talking about, but it's, it's really, it's every, everything to my heart. Um, I'm working on another thing about um, the state of politics in the USA right now, which mm-hmm. is really positive also and empowering, and... Um, talking to other producers about ideas that they have, and yeah. Well, I
1: love your journey, and I love your journey, how it it winds up, I know you were saying... It's a winding road. It is a winding road. Um, Do you think that this will take you, um, like, do you think, like, writing is where you'll stay... Executive producing, show running, or do you think that there's another twist and turn ahead? I
0: think there's going to be another twist and turn again ahead. And I will say, like the thing about show running that's so empowering for me is, um, I love being a writer. I'm blessed that I've had a long career as a writer, but empowering other people to do their job in a great way and creating a really great set to work on where people love to work. Um, you know, I feel like my whole writing room. I'm raising young showrunners. I like. You know, I hire the best department heads and I give them total freedom to, to do their job. You know, I'm not the oligarch showrunner. I'm, yep. the, I'm the I love you, you go showrunner. The go for it, yeah. And I just, the joy that that brings, the whole set, and um, that that empowering other people brings me more joy at this point in my life than writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's lots of ways to do that in the world. So We need
1: more mentors, so especially in this industry. Yeah. It's good to be a good mentor. Yeah, it is. Certainly appreciate that. I'm lucky. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This hour went by so fast, and I'm sorry I was, like, coughing. I was, like, thanks for weathering through my coughing fit (laughs) and carrying the story. I appreciate that. Um, Where can everyone find you on social media? Uh, Holly B. Sorensen at Twitter and Instagram. Fantastic. And she's pretty active, so I have a feeling you will respond to people if they tweet at you. Come at me. I know. We love that. Hit you. And I'm going to fingers crossed for season two on this, you guys. Well, thank you guys for joining us here at To The Point with Kristen Burt, presented by Popcorn Talk and Dance Network. I want to remind you guys we will be back next week, and we've got Dancing with the Stars troop member Britt Stewart joining us. We'll see you all next week. She's great. I I love love her. her. Oh, From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Underdower, Phil Street, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. views expressed here are those of the host only do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network through its owners or principals.
0: <laughs>